paces like impossible to nail. It's like it's kind of like at work. Uh, my boss explained our evaluation system. It's like if you you know we're rated on a one to four scale, and you're not expected to be at the top four level. You know, it's like he, he described it as a place you visit, not a place you live. And I think the perfectly paced game is kind of like that. It's a thing that you appreciate when it's there, and you, when you do it right, and you try to emulate it. But it's there's always going to be a bit of you know randomness and stuff you can't predict. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Alien Familiar RPG Podcast. I am Clayton. And I'm Elliot. Before we get started, you can find show notes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash alienfamiliar. And if you would like to help us out with supporting the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash alienfamiliarmedia. So if you enjoy our content and would like to help us out with hosting costs, any help you would be able to give us would be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much for joining us. Today, Elliot and I are going to be talking about pace. Um, particularly, we're going to be talking about the pace of your game as a whole rather than just focusing solely on the pace of a session. So we're going to talk mostly about D&D, but um, I've also got a few other games that I want to talk about also because I feel like D&D itself is designed to be a very fast-paced game, not necessarily just in a session, but like the adventure structure is designed to be pretty fast-paced, and there are certainly systems that are not designed to do that. Uh, like D&D, you take a long rest, and the next day you are back to full. You have your full hit points. You have all of your abilities at your disposal, and that is not this case in a lot of other game systems. Um, a lot of, well, even previous editions of D&D, um, it took longer than just an overnight to cap off your hit points. Um, back in the days of second edition, it was... I want to say you gain back your um, your hit um, your level in hit points per per day without it, and uh, you didn't gain any other modifiers to it. So if you were a fifth level fighter uh, over the course of a night, you gained back five hit points regardless of what your constitution score was, even if uh, even if you had a positive constitution modifier. So uh, definitely over the past um, editions. D&D has definitely picked up its pace. Yeah, that's a really insightful comment. I hadn't even really thought about that, how uh, the healing system and recovery uh, in-game really can affect your planning pace and, and how that's going to do the adventure over. And, and, you know, I guess when you're planning your your sessions and your adventures in general, that will, you know, inform the amount of combat that you throw at your players, right? I, mean, I know that in D&D we... It's just kind of my t typical outline is usually at least one major combat or maybe a small combat uh, sandwiched in between some outer combat stuff. And that's just kind of the template I roll with. But uh, yeah, if you're playing in a really lethal system, it can kind of be hard to even plan for what's going to happen, right? It, it introduces a, an amount of, of randomness in your long-term planning if you have a an encounter where players get severely, uh, you know, uh, damaged or injured or whatever and then you have to figure out well golly by my calculations it's going to take a week you know what am i going to do with this week while they heal or, or worse yeah and like in the second and 
well, first and second edition of um, um, World of Darkness, like if you took a lethal wound, um, a lethal wound, not even an aggravated damage wound, it was like three days that you were out of commission where you had a penalty on your attacks based on having that wound that did not go away until after you had spent a certain amount of in-game time resting and recuperating. So that could put the kibosh on a in the middle of an adventure if suddenly you're walking around with a negative negative five on your rolls or worse. Yeah, that was the system my mind first came to as well, is just how, uh, especially... Uh... You know, if you're playing the supernatural versions of World of Darkness, it's a little bit easier to get over um, damage, right? Uh, but I, I, I not too long ago ran a, a World of Darkness uh, a game where you were just people. And man, if you get an aggravated wound, watch, you know, you better get a bed ready, you know, have some magazines because you're, you're, you're down for the count. Yeah, probably spending time in the hospital, a week in the hospital to uh, to heal that one aggravated damage you got. Well, uh, we're not even five minutes in and we're in the weeds. Uh, zooming out a little bit to adventures and, I guess, whole campaigns. How do you, do, what do you, whenever you say adventure, you know, are you talking about a, a, spe- a single session or is it, are, I think of adventure versus session as you know, big chunks of story that are, uh, you know, that maybe four or five adventure arcs make my, a campaign. Is that kind of what you're thinking too? Is that how you mean it? Pretty much. Um, I see an adventure as being the the entirety of a particular storyline from uh, from you get the quest to the quest is com- to a particular quest is ended and then a campaign would be um like some major quest that you are wanting to complete so to put this into like lord of the rings terms um an initial quest is for um frodo and sam to get to brie that was an adventure that was uh, one adventure in the campaign of the lord of the rings so here's a question for you uh, and I think we've touched on this a little bit, so I just want to go directly at this thought I've been having lately, looking back at the game that we, we just played. Um, is it? Do you think it's even a good idea to think quest lines long term in terms of an entire campaign? Uh, I'm starting to, to push away from that idea almost as a whole. Do you think it's really, uh, what do you think the pros and cons of having an, an entire campaign outlined? At, right off from the jump uh it depends on how how detailed your outline is um personally i design at the the entirety of a campaign um like the the things that the player characters are going to be doing the soonest are the most fleshed out and the things that are furthest away are really just barely sketched out um and i like to fill in the the details as it becomes needed um, like you don't need to know the stats of the big bad evil guy at the start of the first session of a campaign. You just have to have a vague idea of, well, of who you think that, um, the player characters are going to be, um, seeing as their main antagonist for the campaign. And even that is subject to change. So whenever I'm trying to pace out the, the entirety of a campaign, I'm putting 
at the beginning of the campaign, I'm putting my attention on the stuff that the player characters are definitely going to be encountering very soon. That's I, I that's kind of I, I agree with that as well. I think that's pretty much the best way to do it to uh, uh, to have an idea, a very vague, you know, uh, squishy idea of where you want the things to end up. I think the more detail that you put in the end point of your uh, campaign, um, I think can lead to some problems. You know, if you focus too much on the big storyline and the conclusion, um, you're very unlikely to ever get there. And I think that the more you invest yourself as the DM or whatever the the uh, you in where you want your players to go, you can make the journey less enjoyable, both for you and for your players. At least that's been my experience. But I do believe it's really important to 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 begin with the end. You know what I mean? There are some authors who describe their writing styles, you know, you know, I think about people who just write off the top of their head, right? And they describe, you know, maybe their writing styles to sit down and just write out what happens as it, as it, as it happens. I think that also is really, uh, can, can be kind of dangerous, uh, for a game that you definitely have to have a, an end point in mind, but to labor too much on what that end point looks like in detail can kind of I think can come at the expense of your your the adventure that you're taking them through at that moment, you know. Yeah, and art an author has the advantage of only having to deal with one brain when it comes to plotting out their story. Whenever you're a game master, you have to deal with the with the brains of the other players who are there and their wants and desires for their characters. And if you are making a very detailed plan of um of everything every story beat that's going to happen during the course of this entire campaign, let alone just over the course of the campaign, you're, you're putting them onto a set of railroad tracks that they might not want to, they might want to get off at the first, uh, at the first opportunity. Yeah. I mean, players, uh, who sit down to enjoy a role-playing game, they're, they're wanting to participate, not watch a TV show. And I think that us DMs, you know, people who are inclined to DM, they want to they want to tell stories. They want to be a storyteller, and they want to to wrap the players up in in their creative you know thoughts. But at the same time, there's nothing worse than having you know having that ambition and then realizing you know a couple sessions in, it's like oh man, my players hate my story. What am I gonna do? I had an encounter once of a campaign that started with the player characters literally getting onto a, into a railroad car and the campaign took off from there literally going down the railroad tracks the player characters had no control over the speed of the locomotive or where it was going to be stopping the the player characters were literally along for the ride at the very beginning of from the very start of this campaign and god i hope that was intentional it it was intentional. Um, I I had a very specific plan in mind. I was actually the DM for this, <laughs> but um, looking back on it, there were a lot of problems with it, and it was and most of the problems came from me tr- trying to plan things out way too much and trying to dictate the pace of everything to the players. And um, just not leaving room for the players themselves to kind of um, figure out 
not only what they were going to be doing, but when they were going to be doing things. Do you find it difficult in games that are not Dungeons and Dragons uh, style? I mean, I say that because Pathfinder, any game that has a leveling system, a clear progression, I think it's a little easier to kind of to pace because you can kind of use the module template, which I think most of us at some point have played modules or looked at modules and they're very much, you know, this is what you do, levels one through five. One to five is a common, you know, adventure arc. Five to ten, it's it's easy to kind of pace it out that way. But if you don't have, like if you're thinking World of Darkness, uh, I guess Apocalyptic is this way, Chaosium, a million systems who, yeah, Deadlands, uh, is Savage Worlds like that, Clayton? Are there levels in Savage Worlds? Um, not exactly, but there is an idea kind of similar um but like where you're describing um you're describing in D D where there is there are very there is a very set progression of your characters gaining a significant amount of power over the course of the campaign whereas a lot of the other systems that you mentioned there is progression in in your power the the curve is a lot less uh steep it's a lot more shallow of a curve for for the amount of power that the characters gain yeah so uh you know it's i've ran those sparingly i've i've definitely ran uh my fair share of world of darkness over the years and uh i just find myself planning completely differently um those games do also i've noticed tend to either peter out or you know or they're they lend themselves to shorter ran adventures um have you ever ran well, I know that you've ran some uh, uh, some long-term campaigns. How do you go about planning those uh, when you don't have the the easy guidelines of the of the level system to to, to kind of go by? Um, I'd say that the biggest issue is um, with those types of games is more familiarity of the players with the setting and with what they can actually do. Um, games that are set in the modern world they are very easy to um, to design because you the game master doesn't have the burden of describing literally describing the world to the player characters it's describing the entire world the game master only has to describe what is going on what the plot is or what is the pertinent information for what's going on that the game master doesn't have to give any context as to um why the nations of uh, of breland is uh is facing this big economic boom boom in the years following the great war yeah and i know this may be just a me thing but i'd imagine a lot of people are like this um you can i always always underestimate the amount of time it takes to get through content so the you know less is more i think whenever i as the more that i've played and the more that i've ran i've just realized that it Less is more. The sessions that uh, focus less, when you focus your planning less on the big overarching, the narrative, uh, if you just chop the narrative into something small, or if you need to default, do I have enough or do I not, you probably do have enough to do multiple sessions. And, you know, I think turning to planning the world, making the world rich can, can really help stretch out a uh, a fairly minimal outline of of events because 
you're creating the more that you create a world that the players are interested in and that just comes with having rich npcs having you know uh, interesting uh interesting places to go maybe even like uh spending a little more time fleshing out a dungeon and a little less time you know uh you know worrying about what happens after or you, you know what i mean i think that's probably a a good way to go uh, because I know for me, I'll have I'll have notes, and I there are very few sessions that, even if I plot it down, in the session on the session point session level, I almost I very rarely actually get to the end of my data points or my plot points, and oftentimes I chuck I'll chuck one or two out the window because I run out of time, and I want them to get I want the players to get to a certain place, you know. There's a there's a huge difference in the um um I don't know the 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 amount of material that you need to prep at the beginning of a campaign to then towards the end of the campaign. Um, and a lot of it has to do with just how well the, the game master knows the setting and how well the players know the setting at the beginning of most campaigns, even like even a fantasy campaign where the players have no knowledge of what's going on. For instance, Elliot, your most recent game where you, where initially we were set in your homebrew world, and then we transitioned to uh, playing uh, Curse of Strahd. At the very beginning of that, our characters literally knew nothing. Um, or, I'm sorry, our players literally knew nothing about the setting. We we discovered the setting as we went along. And as we, the players, got more comfortable with the setting, as we learned more things about it, we began to basically set our own goals, set where we where we were going to go and how we were going to accomplish our goals. We still had the main overarching goal of the of the um of the module of defeating Strahd, but we were allowed to take a lot of latitude in how exactly we accomplished that. And that is the type of pacing that the game master has at the at the very at the very beginning of it has to put a lot of work into making sure that, okay, I'm not, I'm not giving too much information um, that the players just don't care about because they don't have context for it. And as the game progresses, the the players and the, and the characters learn more about, about what's going on and hopefully they become more engaged with it. Um, but at the, at the very beginning there's a lot of GM handholding to get from one plot point to another, and the game master is really setting the pace for the campaign, especially at the very beginning. And you can get through a lot more material, but as the players get more comfortable, the amount of material of of quote plot points that the game master prepares, there's actually less that gets through. But it's definitely, it, I feel like it's more meaningful for the players because they're set, they're determining what they're going, what they're doing. You know, I think that's a really underrated challenge. I mean, I guess we're kind of getting into moving, moving from talking about kind of beginner strat, like beginner advice, like for someone who's not ever played a game or ran a game before. Uh, it, but if you're, a, I would say, like a, maybe an intermediate non-beginner DM, and maybe you've ran several one shots or you've ran a few short lived campaigns and you're really wanting to, to attack a, a long running game. Um, knowing that ahead of time is very important in how you plan and prep because I, I was kind of, 
in that boat. I'd ran a few short-lived games, but I'd never ran a, a, a full year-long campaign like that one. And what I found challenging was um, was being prepared to uh, to manage the game once the players have become familiar with the setting. They know all of the names. They know the NPCs. They interact with them, the major players comfortably. And then they want to go take some ownership of the world. That is, as a player, it's the most enjoyable part, I think, of it's the most enjoyable stretch is whenever you have agency, you have status in a world, and you're just out there, do, you know, doing what you want to do. And, but as a DM, you're right, you don't have to prep as much, but it's a different, it really changes the type of prep you need to do because you have to be prepared. Almost you have to be prepared for anything. And that can be very daunting, especially whenever players, you know, maybe don't want to go in the same directions. Uh, you have to be very, I think, I think what really pays off at that point is how well you have hooked your players into whatever bigger story plots you, you want. And even if that means you've taken your original idea, read your party and realized they don't want to go there and spent some time wadding up your ideas in the car and throw them in the garbage and, and creating some, you know, latching onto where they want to go. Um, because if, if the players kind of break apart, for lack of a better word, um, you end up, uh, that can just be really challenging, I've found. Uh, what do you think? I would say that, like, if you are a brand new GM and you're you're coming to this episode for advice on how to design a campaign, how to pace out a campaign, I would tell you, don't pace out a campaign. Pace out an adventure. Design an adventure. Make sure that you have a session that is well-paced where you've got things, um, adventures. You've got an adventure hook. You've got um, some some things for the characters to do that they're they're going to find exciting. Usually that is combat. Usually that is starting uh, starting in the inventor the adventure um, in media rage, um, where they at the very start of the, the the session something is going on that they have to interact with. As, that's well, that's the thing though. Uh, whenever I started running that game, I really ran two modules. And I think that that was one thing that uh, I learned from that session is um, modules are great, especially if you pick the good ones. If you're playing D&D, you're not really doing yourself many favors by not at least taking a look at some of that content because they, I mean, I think that's what makes 5th edition so great is that they've really invested the time to make really high quality settings and uh, long running adventures that you can kind of un you know unbox read and run your players through it but what i also learned from that was that i really think it's best to do one or the other you know if you're going to start with a module because i ran minds of fandelver and kind of nested it in my own world and then i nested barovia in my own world and then my ambition was to tell the conclusion story once the players hit those epic levels and it it worked out more or less. I really enjoyed it. I think the players really enjoyed it. But on the DM side, looking back on it, I just really underestimated just how much work they've done for you when they make a module. Because, um, you know, even though I still kept all the NPCs and we still stayed in Barovia, um, I just found myself, you know, taking for granted how much 
different it is to to read ahead a book and then just review the session the sections that you think they're going to go if it's an open sandboxy kind of thing like uh that like what makes Curse of Strahd so fun because really your players could go anywhere anytime if they so choose but then to go from well now it's all on my shoulders you know that is a very huge gear shift that you need to be prepared for that probably is better off just doing it from the beginning um and then you know um sticking with a module uh, and being planning for the next module once you feel your players wrapping up the one you're on but um because i mean there's a reason why completely from scratch homebrew games i feel have usually shorter lifespans and for those of you out there who can scratch build a world and run a long-running D campaign my hat's off to you it's 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 a daunting amount of work but it's the most rewarding if you can pull it off i i want to put out there that if you are a new player and or a new gm and you're looking at these these published adventures as kind of guides for how to um how to create your own adventures they're great for giving you the resources to run the adventure that is in the module but they are absolutely terrible for teaching you how to design an adventure because whenever you get this published module you have so much information and whenever you are be, the reason why they have so much information in there is because they're a team you know it's made by committee you know there's a reason why the credits on the inside of the book is so long cuz most of these big name publishers right there they've got whole teams cracking it cracking away at these books and they have to design this adventure to take into account people they don't know usually the game master is going to be at least having a passing familiarity with the players who are in their game so and the and the game master has the freedom to learn the players as the game goes and to pick up the things that they like, the things that they don't like, um, the things that interest them. Whenever you're designing and whenever you're um, publishing a a big adventure, like a formal adventure, you don't have that benefit of being able to learn as the campaign goes what the players want and how and how they're going to play out the game. So a published adventure has to have so much more information in it because they can't predict what the game master is going to need. Whenever you are creating a game for the people who are sitting around your table, you can make it as focused as you want and you can I mean you can make an adventure solely for a particular character sitting at that table and you don't need you don't need 5 pages of backstory with information that hopefully something there will will um will cause that player to sink their teeth into this hook you can say in a single sentence something that you know that that player is going to sink their teeth into as a hook for the adventure yeah that's so true i didn't even really think about that that's really true i mean if deviating from the module is i mean it's really that's one of the things you have to do and and not taking i would always recommend using a module for for busy dms but you know, you also have to take in mind it's not canon, you know, or nothing sacred is probably a better way to say it, that your players do have individual, you know, you know, approaches to the game and, uh, you know, making a change, you know, to just to engage in a particular character is, is that's always the better choice. The skill you'd need most as a game master that modules are actually pretty terrible at learning 
at, or at, I'm sorry, at teaching is improvisation. Whenever you have all of that information there, whenever you're able to read the pages of backstory and lore and motivations for all of the people who are in this particular adventure, the game master doesn't have to think of it on the fly. They don't have to come up with something in the heat of the moment. And after you, whenever you start to design your own adventures, um, that becomes something that you kind of have to rely on or you're going to just drive yourself to absolute burnout by drafting page after page after page of information that never gets used. Oh, yeah, that's definitely the the thing that overwhelmed me uh, whenever we started playing off the, you know, off the script is, you know, whenever you're playing in a pre-made world, you know, it's just as a DM, it's just, you're just so comfortable. You know, you feel so safe all the time because if you've done your reading, um, you know, you know, you know who's in that bar. I mean, you may not remember their name. You have to flip through the pages or whatever, but you can kind of remember, oh, yeah, this guy. Yeah, this is the this is the inn where, you know, it has a fairly meek you know, uh, bartender or owner running it and he has a very overbearing wife and you kind of have it in your head, you know how to play it. But, you know, whenever your players go off, you know, maybe go into a place they've never been before, they, they, you're, you find yourself in those improv moments. Um, it, it, it took me a lot of adjusting to, uh, to get, to kind of get back in to where I was comfortable doing that. But, uh, that's why I think it's best to do either or. I think we, we've been kind of obsessing with, uh, with the modules, I'll try to get off the topic uh, and let go go in other directions. But you know, I've said it once; I'll say it again. Uh, you know, it's I think it's better to do one or the other, um, uh, and uh, or maybe just do like a short intro one to buy yourself some time to get used to the system if it's if you're new to the system. But um, you know, definitely stick with one or the other. I wouldn't recommend trying to you know uh, mix them together. Yeah, absolutely. Um... And as far as whenever you actually get to get to where you are running your own your own material, you don't have somebody else um, somebody else's book saying, "Okay, um, this is the sequence of events that's going to happen in this story." So whenever you're designing your own adventure, whenever you're setting your own pace for the session, you have to keep in mind that. As the game master, especially at the very beginning, you are going to be the one dictating when things happen, and you you you're going to be dictating when the fights happen, and also when the talky bits happen, and when exploration happens, and things like that. And it's really important to have a good balance between them because personally, if I'm running a or if I'm in a game that is just a dungeon crawl and it's nothing but a dungeon crawl, that tires me out. I I get tired and I get bored. Um, just a just a series of fights isn't interesting to me, and a series of fights where nothing happens in between. There are some players who love that. I do not. I have to have something else in between. And that something else in between should be something that is, sometimes it's exciting, sometimes it should be a little bit boring, sometimes sometimes it should be just something where the player characters have the chance to just kind of relax and get their bearings on what is going on. Um, um, we talked um, particularly... Um, back in episode 112 about um, how hard D&D &D should be. 
about like kind of balancing tough fights and easy fights. Um, another factor of just how hard it is, is whether or not you are just constantly going full tilt at, with the same thing after the same thing after the same thing. Um, variety is the spice of life and your, your adventures are going to be better if you present a variety of things for the player characters to do and interact with. You know, you made me think of something that, uh, looking back on it, I, you know, one thing that, uh, I think is, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head there as far as variety and, uh, I, a, a mistake that I can fall into is, you know, for whatever reason, I just, I've always defaulted to almost like a very Dungeon and Dragons-y, but like almost Lord of the Rings-y approach to, you know, what's a game and how should a game be? And it's like, you know, I'm always kind of creating stories where you're on the, where you're on the road, you know, you're the fellowship and you're, you're marching to Mount Doom. And that's very much how I have it planned. But, you know, if you, Whenever you're creating your bigger storylines or whatever, it's imp- I think it is important to leave room for, you know, you to create completely put your players in novel situations so they're not always on the road. They're not always chasing down the bad guy. They're not always, you know, not every session is oh now you're just oh he just got away or you know you're 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 you just got a new clue and that's going to lead you to the next door to unlock to get to the next point, you know. I like the idea, you think you mentioned Heist earlier or whatever, but, uh, you know, having your adventures, giving yourself the, the space to where maybe, you know, the first adventure, the first four or five sessions, it's the culmination of, hey, there's this mysterious bad guy, and you gotta go figure out who he is, and then you gotta go defeat him, and then, great. But then, you know, instead of just replaying that with, the bigger bad, or maybe the bad got away, and now you got to go do the same thing, and you're still chasing him. You know that can get so redundant over the course of five, fifteen, twenty sessions. You know, I like the idea of maybe the second adventure it is a heist. Maybe it's just something completely different. That maybe the bad guy isn't even a bad guy. It's just this an object you have to secure, and and the session revolves around a locality and. You don't even give them a reason to have to leave this particular place. And the challenges are more social, which, you know, put the combats more in the hands of the players. It's like, well, maybe you're going to, are you going to solve this with brute strength? Maybe you're going to do it with stealth and give them the, the, the breathing room and the challenge to do something completely different. Um, I think that that, um, you know, trying to just be uh, less, I mean, I've I, I just felt like the, the less epic you make your adventures, um, that can really be a good thing. Um, and typically players will find a way to make a story epic if they're good players, you know. Um, I want to give a little bit of cautionary advice, particularly about heists. If there is any particular type of adventure that I have seen go wrong, it's a heist. And by go wrong, I mean so poorly paced that it it becomes a slog to get through. And here's why. Take your typical Shadowrun game, a game set in the a fantastical version of uh, a cyberpunk future. The typical cyberpunk game, in my experience, is you get your you get a um, basically a heist uh, um, uh, objective from your Mister Johnson, 
and then you plan out the adventure or you plan out the heist and then you go do it. There is no action going on in this heist until the very end of the adventure. It's all just this this meticulous planning and the planning gets so far into the weeds, into minutia, and there's always going to be at least one player who absolutely wants to get everything planned out and nailed down so that everything can go off without a hitch. And then there is also going to be at least one other player sitting at the table, tapping their foot, impatient, can't wait to get to the fun parts of the game. Um, Heists are a particular type of adventure that I think is fraught with pitfalls as far as making sure that that the players are engaged with every step of the process of the adventure. Well, I don't have a good way of doing it. Um, I've run heists, and it always seems to devolve into that. pre Like, get the mission, pre-plan, plan, 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 argue about the plan, and then finally instigate the plan where everything goes wrong. And... There's always players who just aren't interested at each point of that of that adventure, and I hate seeing players who are just cut off and just not having fun. Um, I have a lot to say about. Okay, I have to, I have to make this comment though. Uh, I was talking to another DM friend of mine who I hadn't seen in a while uh, recently. And after having ran this game, I just jokingly said, you know what, after running a long-term game, you know what conclusion I've come to? I'm not going to cuss, but F players. <laughs> and, and I say that jokingly because that's obviously that's not the case. But, um, you know, I, I do think that just like the DM has a responsibility to uh, provide something to play, um, it's as much the player's responsibility to find their fun. And I, I also share that like nagging, like, gosh, this, you know, I've got this person. I know they're not enjoying this storyline. This really is cutting this person off. And I kind of want to run, maybe do something to kind of push to reach them. But, you know, because everybody's different. And if you play with four or five people, um, then, you know, everybody plays and enjoys differently. So you're always going to have that person who loves combat that is just not happy when you're anytime you're not in combat. And then you're going to have that other player who's maybe not a martial character focus, and they just uh, they just sigh or go ugh every time a big combat starts. Um, and, you know, I do think that as a player, and this is something that I'll even, probably for the rest of my gaming even be very explicit about saying right up front in the campaign is just to just caution my players and encourage them. Just this is your chance to be as outgoing as possible. Whether if you're an introvert, you know, and then, you know, I need to know what you, where you're going to find your fun so I can write that in. But, um, you know, I do think that players need to put forth an effort to, to find their own niche and at a certain point, you know, if you've thrown a bone to somebody or, you, you know, you, you're trying to do something different, you know, if you're there's been a couple times where I've just seen a, a maybe it's the same player who seems to always be disengaged. And I'm just like, hey, they must be finding their fun or else. Why are they showing up? Um, and I don't know, I, I've, I've had to kind of evaluate 
this last year is like just how much obligation does the DM have to reach everybody, you know? Because obviously you never can. And it's a really big problem whenever you get to a session when it's like, oh man, everybody's checked out. Yeah, as a DM, you've probably done something wrong there. But as long as you have the majority of your players engaged in any given session, you know, your follow-up prep really ought to be gauged. Okay, well, that person was pretty bored last session. Let's make something that maybe I think will appeal to them a little bit more. You know, I think that that's probably uh, about as far as a DM needs to go. What do you think? I mean, am I being too callous? <sighs> I don't know. I go back and forth on this um, weekly, sessionally. Like how much I sh- how much it is my responsibility and how much it is the player's responsibility to be the one to set the to 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 be engaging. I don't have an answer. I have struggled with this question. I've I'm sure on past episodes I have said that I've had an answer, but as like as those sessions come and go, and I see there's a player there who is who seemingly is not having fun. They're sitting there. I can hear them sighing because they're just not having fun. Oh, and they love to let you know. You know, they they love to let you know. I I don't have an answer. Um, I may have pretended that I had an answer before, but I I literally don't. I don't know where the line is when it's my responsibility and when it it's just the fucking player's responsibility to to wake the fuck up, play this play this game with us. And, you know, there was a, you know, there was a character, uh, or there's a player in a, you know, game that I was a player in as well. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, why is this guy even here? And every time we'd play, it would just be a closed mouth and a warm body in the seat. And I'm thinking, like, dude, like, what what is his motivation for being here? Because we're all yucking it up and having a good time. This person, I mean, doesn't even play the like doesn't even play his class very well in combat. You know, wasn't really invested in the combats very much. Wasn't very competent in playing his role, which was fun. Um, you know, when we were in social interactions, always very never really spoke up. We literally, I remember, we would all take turns throwing him the football to put him on the spot and every single time it was a fumble or he just tossed it right back. Lo and behold, we got to the end of the game and talking to the GM and he was like, Oh no, he, he was the most engaged kind of because apparently he just was very not table. He was very table shy, but in the, in between the sessions, he was building this whole aspect of the world through the, uh, through, uh, social, uh, social stuff, but just between him and the DM. And he enjoyed ha- almost helping the DM build the world. And so that's where he found his fun. And his fun even wasn't necessarily always at the table. And that blew my mind. Uh, not to be too much on my soapbox, but I, the thing that got me thinking about that, Clayton, was in that game that I recently just decided I didn't have the bandwidth to, to continue to run. So unfortunately, we've, we finished the, the Strahd game completely. But, you know, two the, two sessions ago, um, we had the best game I've ever ran. The most enjoyable session, and it was just a high watermark for me as a play, as a game master, and it was awesome. And so there was a big social situation that had been working its way through the, the game, and I was like, what would be a good, like, change of pace from that previous session? And, I, and I'll just say, we the, one of the players had to get married, and so I went way overboard making this crazy skill challenge approach to, well, how can we take just this mundane encounter, this, this social thing, this wedding, and turn it into something a little more engaging? 
and I, I put a lot of work into it. I thought I was, I thought it was really going to work out. And then it didn't take me 20 minutes to realize that every, not a single one of these players gave a shit about this wedding, <laughs> including the character getting married. It was something that like I could tell. I was like, well, oh no, everything I've built for this session to run today involves this taking this event being the majority of the session. And from the jump, every single player just had this, I could tell through their investment in what was happening. It was just like, why is he keep, why is he going on about this? Why is this being, can't I just, I had a player like leave. He just left. And I like pulled the terrible DM like, nope, brought you back. Sorry. Cause like, I didn't know what else to do. And I just didn't want him to walk away. And that's one of those moments where, yeah, it's you, DM. Like, whenever, if you have one of those moments where you prep a lot of stuff and the players just aren't having it, if that's all you got, that's all you got. You just got to put your chin down, muscle through it, throw in as much ad lib, and just just, just, just determine to write a better session the next time. And, and But, you know, you're not always going to knock a home run out of the park, you know, and that's okay. Just because the players find a particular idea boring or it doesn't go that well i mean that doesn't mean that you've done a bad job or anybody wants to quit or anything it's just you know learn from it and don't make a session like that again you know so um i don't want to be too harsh on you elliot um i think that part of why you think that session was such a failure was because this previous session was so good. oh for sure 100 percent. but i i mean as you're describing it, um, hopefully I can I can give a little bit of insight as to why it it ended up not being as fun. And it was and this is entirely a pacing issue. We were literally running the entire session from one problem that we didn't care about <laughs> to another problem yes. we didn't care yes. about. And there was nothing in between for us to for us to be engaged with it was it was a series of things we had to do there was no choice on the players parts in the matter for well what do we do now we never had that choice it was somebody come running up to us oh oh the 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 food's not getting cooked yeah a level 13th character 13th level party finds themselves having to deal with a culinary catastrophe at a wedding that nobody gives a shit about. Like, how I thought that that was going to be engaging, I have no idea. I mean, in my defense, I just kind of thought that I took it for granted that because this was so long in the making, that it would be this almost like breath of fresh air, like a stop. Okay, let's, you know... I thought it would be almost like a nostalgia moment where everybody would be like, oh, yeah, I remember that this that wedding that's, you know, from this between this NPC and this player from the very beginning of the game. And wow, this, but no, not at all. No way. Just, hey, you know, sometimes you roll a one, you know, that's OK. I will say that at the very start of the session, it was fun, but I am the type of person who hates most absurdist comedies because all to me all absurdist comedies start with a small problem and then they just snowball into bigger and bigger problems until it loses all touch with reality and that's kind of what i felt like was going on in that session that, that was 100 percent it yeah i was just trying to i thought it would be a, just add a little lightness because the previous session had been so heavy hitting and the whole game really the last several several games had been just 
epic combats, harrowing events. I was like, well, this is a moment to create something slow. That's just, and then throw them into this absurd series of absurd situations. And I think there was still a way to make that fun. I just was off the mark and uh, always have, and this just goes to show that plan with the end in mind. I, I can't say that enough, whether it's the session level or the adventure level or the campaign level, have an idea of what, you know, the players need to know why they're, what they're doing is important. And I think that in that particular session, it was a classic example of, I created the details of what was going on, but I really didn't do a good job making it matter. Like, because ultimately, if the wedding didn't go well, it didn't matter in the long run. There was no major obstacle, no big problem it was solving. It was just, I thought that, you know, so I just failed, I neglected to give you guys a reason to care. And so, you know, that's, that's going to happen from time to time in your games. I want to also look at it with another issue of pacing that you just brought up. The previous two sessions, or the pre, yeah, the previous two sessions that we had had were very much on the run, dealing with problems, dealing with very immediate problems that were very heavy and serious. I think that the the wedding session could have been better if to contrast those two sessions where we were literally on the run the entire time instead of having a an on the run absurdist comedy we just kind of had a um just kind of like a clip show of the different people we had met along the road of getting our characters here. Cause I kind of got the feeling that that's one of the things you were going for was to bring back some of the people, some of the NPCs who we had met along the way and really hadn't had a chance to interact with again, to kind of bring them back um, for us to have an interaction with them again. I, I got the feeling that that was one of the points was to see them again. That was kind of it. Yeah. But then we ended up just running around like chickens with our heads cut off from one problem to another. And that's an exa- that's an example where I think, you know, it's never a good idea to railroad your players. Um, you know, I, I noticed that one of my, uh, re- I, you know, our, my, our, the character named Elroy is always very reliable. He's a team player. He's that he's one of those people, you know, he's one of your the best kinds of players are the ones who read the DM. They know what their character wants to do. But they help the DM typically get to, you know, they can read the DM to know it's like, okay, this is something that we need to attack. And, and, but his character just for the first time, probably ever in the game, he just wanted to go do something else. And he was the character that I was like, I don't think you should do that. You're really exhausted. He's like, nope, I'm, I'm doing it. And I'm like, that, then as a DM, I'm thinking, well, that screws me. Uh, I don't want to deal with this split party thing. Uh, and then I just totally snatched him back. He was dead the rest of the session. That killed, I mean, that just totally killed it for him. I could tell maybe just through his, the way he role played, every single thing he did from that point forward was a groan. Oh my God, I can't believe I have to do this crap. Uh, in that situation, I think that if you read, you know, if your players are sending you signals, and it's not just one, if it's everybody that's sending you signals that, you know, yo, man, this first hour, yikes, it's not been awesome. Um, you know, have your train wreck be giving into the players and letting them go off. 
I mean, in reality, what I should have done after that first hour has been like, you know what? This isn't working. I have, my players all have somewhere they want to go. Every single one of your, you, the players had just returned back home. And so they were sending me signals with, there are things we want to do, just not this. There, well, if I may interject, this was a situation where war is coming to us. We know that we know that armies are coming toward us and you want us to take a session and, and do this wedding thing. It's possible that this could have worked if we had, if our, if our characters had been impressed upon that, um, like how this would have helped the, helped the, the, the overarching story. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if we had seen how this marriage was going to solve a problem, I, I kind of got the feeling that, like you did say how it was going to have this effect on the land itself, but I, I don't know. I just, I just didn't. It wasn't enough. Yeah, it wasn't enough, but I, I feel like you did recover the session at the end pretty well. The last fight was, was fun. It, it did bring some things into the session. I think the biggest thing that was the problem with the session was just the, how it was. Everything was rushed. Absolutely. And that was coming off the heels of two previous sessions where everything had been rushed. Yeah, so getting off the the specifics of this, I know we're running, we're getting close to the to the probably the the closing remarks on it. I'd like to talk a little bit about just other systems. You know, we spend so much time on D anD D; it's what we're most familiar with. But one of the exciting things about dropping a campaign isn't that isn't dropping it role-playing games. It's like now I've already started looking at other systems. You know, when we're thinking in terms of, it, it, you know, if a game is sci-fi versus I think the old West and like say a Deadlands game, like I've played a lot of that uh, fantasy, you know, dark real world sci-fi. I mean, how much does the, the type of game system a, but also just the, the setting, the, the theme of the setting affect your planning and your pacing? Well, um, I think that a lot of it comes back to um, how familiar your characters are with the setting, um, as to how well the 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 how well they're going to do with the pace of it. Um, de- like a, a medieval fantasy can be slow paced. Um, it takes a lot of time to walk from one place to another. Um, it and it takes in a starship, depending on the technology it might take a long time to travel from one star system to another or from one planet to another so there are built-in ways that you can kind of have a more slow-paced game like like look at classic star wars versus classic star trek like star trek um, before the jj abrams and star wars well any star wars except for the prequels because prequels were poorly paced um so whenever you look at um, Star Trek, that's a pretty slow-paced stuff. That's uh, um, Ep- episodic. Star Wars and Star Trek, I feel, are pretty episodic. But um, I'm I'm talking about like the amount of time that it takes for anything to happen. In and this is one of the why reasons why I have a big problem with with J.J. Abrams' take on uh, Star on Star Trek is because he made it Star Wars is. In Star Trek, you don't see people running from one place to another constantly. In Star Wars, 
particularly the most three movies, people are constantly running. No one ever walks in the most recent Star Trek, Star Wars movies. Go back and watch them. Nobody ever walks. Huh. Yeah, see, that's maybe when I say episodic, that was kind of what I had in mind. I, I had a, I've talked a lot with some friends about easy ways to, to run games uh, that way, that, the, the easiest way you can do for a DM. And we've kicked around this thought of, well, have, and have you ever played or ran a game like this where every session is its own discrete story? And you literally plan to play the game as if it's an episode of Star Trek. So like the beginning, it may be not quite so formulaic, but essentially have that opening montage of Stardate, blah, 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 give you that this is what's going on right now. And then by the end of the session, or maybe two sessions, it's done. And then when you get back together, you're playing the same characters, you know, but you're in a new scenario. And maybe they have something to do with each other, but... Probably not, or maybe not. Um, and just run. Have you ever paced a game like that? And do you think that would be successful? I have. I have tried to run games like that um, with varying levels of success. The biggest problem with episodic games that I see is that it doesn't. They don't really allow for character growth. Um, you end up just playing an archetype and the archetype never changes because basically everything goes back to baseline whenever the next adventure starts. There's really not much carryover from one adventure to another, one session to another. And it, it kind of, it kind of carries over to the characters where the characters don't really change. Um, and that's also a problem, can be a problem with um, with a long arcing story, big campaign where the entire story or is is planned out or it seems to be planned out from the first session to culminate in something that happens at the end. Um, but I see it happening a lot more in episodic games. Yeah, I I have determined that the next game that I run, I'm definitely not going to plan if it's even a fantasy game, which I don't imagine it will be, but if it were, I'm definitely not going to... Like, the ending that I have in mind is definitely not going to be level 20. Um, and it's just, I really want to... I feel like as a DM, I default to just, like, pace, pace, pace. Fast, fast, fast. Star Wars style. You're always running. You know what I mean? Never slowing down. There's urgency. And the, the next game I want to try to tackle is just a bit more... Um, just a, just slower and make things a little less less big as far as like scope but more rich so that the uh, and to get that way right from the beginning you can give players a little bit more room to breathe a bit more agency and uh, I've already kind of got that idea in the back of my head as where I kind of want to go as a DM I will caution that it's very hard to do that from the beginning um the I feel like using using the curse of strahd campaign as a as a template again at the beginning where we don't really know a whole lot about what's going on the players don't really have that the context for um being able to set their own agenda it after like it, but in curse of strahd like by the time we were getting up to the point where we were we could conceivably take on strahd we very much could have done the entire rest of that campaign entirely based on what the 
player characters wanted to do and fulfilling our motivations. Um, and with the type of campaign that you're you're talking about, I do want to caution you that it's it's really hard at the beginning to give the the players that that latitude because they just don't know what to do with it. So for at the for the beginning of such a campaign, I would say I would say still kind of lean pretty heavily on having everything plotted out and having um having it be pretty fast paced at the beginning and then once the players start saying hey i want to i want to take some time to do this thing that isn't the main plot that's when you start letting up on your go 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 mentality yeah i agree um and just and this is maybe just a player slash dm preference another thing that i really liked where we did not do curse of strahd the first five levels we did a the the minds of Fandelver. You know, Fandelver is kind of doing what I think is good is that it's giving you a small little locality that you can become familiar with. But me, and me personally, I think that it's not a big enough town. It's not a big enough place. Cause I feel like any game that you play starting with that module, the town itself with Fandelver is just too small to really get too comfortable in. So like the way I imagine it is, that uh, if you give the players like a, a fairly medium-sized locality, uh, at least this is where my mind's at, I would li- I'm really intrigued by the idea of, you know, make this your story arcs really simple early on and just make sure that you know the place that they're going to be. And like, I think that was the strength of Curse of Strahd is that by the time when you guys hit the point where you could potentially actually go to a take on Strahd, you were you were citizens of 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 Barovia. You knew you'd been to almost every place. You you developed contacts in most of the locations. You knew the play, You knew the lay of the land, and you guys had owned that place. You know you felt connected to it because you have had bled there. You had met the people, and like that's I think whenever most games that I've played have gotten the most fun is that once my DM gets me invested into that setting in some way. And I think the faster that you can get there, I think that is when you really start to get the buy-in from your players. And uh, I think that that should really be, that could be your main storyline for the first, those early sessions is create some, you know, obviously have a, you know, have a story to guide them through some conflict to overcome something to some meaning, but you know, do the necessary world building so that the NPCs are interesting enough, likable enough that the players feel attached to the realm itself or whatever the location is. That's the hard part about maybe episodic or fast moving where you go from place to place is I've always felt that when you're always traveling, you're always moving to the next location and you don't stay in any place for very long. The players just never give a shit about any of the places they go. You know what I mean? Whenever the players start saying, hey, I want to do this thing, that's when you should need to start listening. Okay, going back to Curse of Strahd, um, my character started wanting, okay, um, can can I head back to the village of Barovia? I've got a contact there I want to talk to. Um, well, we can't really do that right now because we've got this thing we need to do. Okay, but that takes us further away. Um, okay, we've got some time now. Can I, can I go do this thing? Well, we've got this other depressing thing that needs to, needs to happen in, in the type of campaign you're talking about, 
as soon as somebody starts saying, I've got this connection that I want to go back to or I want to develop, that's when you slow down and you say, okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to do this real quick. And then allow the player to set to dictate how long that takes to resolve. Hopefully, and as you do this, um, make sure that there's something there for the other characters to engage in as well. Like have some sort of little adventure that happens that's hopefully relevant to everything else that's going on. Like, um, like my example, um, we the other characters maybe they learned something that was going on with with the priest that was back there and the the priest's son. Um, just something. So that when one player is starting to get a connection, you have something else going on that hopefully ties back to something you've already established to kind of pull the other character, other players into the story as well. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. I think we've, uh, I don't know that we've actually really solved any major issues, but I think there's some good advice in there somewhere in our rambling. Um, I think there's still enough that we could do another episode at some point, just talking about things we haven't gone over, but um, I'm comfortable with what we've done. Ready to head into geek things? You want me to go first? Go right ahead. Uh, mine's pretty easy. Uh, hopefully you guys haven't done this while I, the last one I missed, but uh, Amazon just released Invincible, a cartoon adaptation of a comic written by uh, Robert Kirkman, uh, the same guy who wrote the Walking Dead comic and produced that TV show. Uh, I remember uh, reading both those comics at the same time whenever they were in their first, when they had just done their first trade paperbacks. I bought them both. Um, I think he either did them simultaneously. He's kind of working on both comics at the time. And, and Invincible was a really, really, really good comic. Um, Walking Dead blew up, and I always was like, man, I really wish they'd do something with Invincible. Amazon has. It's really great, really, really good. Uh, superhero fiction and I'm being not a huge fan anymore of comic book superhero fiction takes a lot for me to like uh, to get interested in a comic book kind of uh, inspired anything and it's really good I recommend it to anybody Um, they uh, new episodes come out on Fridays I think there's five or six out now it's uh, it's good stuff check it out read the comics too I've actually got so many I don't know what to what I want to talk about Um, the first thing I'm going to talk about is uh Romance of Raskia, a visual novel uh, created by some friends of the show. Um, it is available now um, on their website, which will be linked in the show notes. Um, but here next month, it will be available on Steam as well. So if um, you've if you're familiar with visual novels, I would definitely recommend you check it out. It is um, uh, let's see, it is a text based. Or I'm sorry, it is a visual novel set in a fictional history based on ancient Rome. Um, and if you're not familiar with what visual novels are, um, kind of imagine a text-based adventure game that uses like anime style visuals. And the gameplay is you making decisions along the way, making the decisions of the characters who are in it. There's a lot of um, very diverging branching storylines that you can play through Um you can play through the game several different times and have very different stories each time you play it. So definitely check it out. Um, Romance of Raskia. Hmm. I'll be checking that out. Um, the other thing that I've got, um, I'm going to say the uh, there's a PDF called 
Global Trends 2040, A More Contested World. This is published by the National Intelligence Council. It just came out last month. And it's looking ahead at what current trends are and looking at what the world will be like in 2040 and how the government should prepare for what lies ahead. Um, this is a publication that has been coming out every few years since like 1997, and every one of them have are available for uh, for you to look at online. So if you're into alternate history s- stuff, you can check out the ones that came out in like 1997 and 2000 to see what an alternate history of what our world might look like, what what types of things um, people thought were going to be happening in the world, and how things were planning people were planning for it. Um, Some of the scenarios that are described in this to basically get, um, get the like recommendations for the government to get ready for what the world might be like in, in 2040. Um, Some of the scenarios are have titles such as um, Renaissance of democracies, a world adrift, competitive coexistence, separate silos, tragedy and mobilization. So these are the, different scenarios that top level people in in the US government are looking at to plan out what the world is going to be like and how how to prepare for that. Sounds like one of those things where if you go back and read an old issue and what it said happened came true, it's probably somebody probably screwed up. <laughs> probably should have not let that happen. It's definitely going interesting going back and reading the ones published in uh, 1997 and in 2000 and reading their reports on what terrorism will be like in the future. Oh, man. I, yeah, I'm going to check that out, too. That sounds crazy. All right. Well, while you say we stop this bullshit and start rolling some dice. Uh, sounds like a plan, man. This has been a production of Alien Familiar Media. You can find past episodes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. This production is protected under a Creative Commons non-commercial attribution, no derivatives license. Music for this episode is Suburban Outlaw by Forget the Whale and can be found at freemusicarchive.org.